We're doing this, wrapping up this series this morning called Faith Over Fear. And I want to start off by giving credit to where credit is due. This book called Life Without Lack has been a huge part of my faith journey the last five or six months. It's uh, written by a guy named Dallas Willard and has been a uh, huge influence on, on me and particularly on this sermon this morning. Um, I need a friend of mine, Larry. Larry's going to come up on the stage for a sec. And uh, help me out and just help, help us understand a little bit about what faith is. Can you guys make some noise in this place for Larry? Yeah, okay. So, in the Warner household, um, an, a, an old childhood activity is in the, the process of being revived. Um, the trust fall. Anybody ever do the trust fall? Yeah, okay. You know where this is going already this morning. Um, Faith is often a confusing idea for a lot of people. It sounds kind of like mysterious and kind of out there, and, and what exactly is it? In, in some translations of the Bible, it describes faith as a substance. Well, how is it a substance, and what, what, it, what does it mean, all that kind of stuff? Faith is actually a pretty simple concept, and, and all the elements that make faith what faith is are actually found in the trust fall. And at, at its most basic Faith is trust or confidence in something or someone in both attitude and action. Now, I have Larry up here because I have, I have faith in Larry. I have this inner attitude of trust and confidence that if, if, if Larry stands behind me and he says that he's going to catch me, that, that I can just, I, I, have tr- I have trust and confidence that he's behind me and he's going to catch me. You ready? We're going to do this. I'm going like full-on spread eagle. Here we go. Thanks, Larry. <laughs> I actually get your heart going a little bit. Not going to lie. Notice I had a, a, a guy that I could fully trust up here. <laughs> You're like, Rich, your faith isn't super strong. Come on, it's Larry up here. But... But I have this, this inner attitude of trust and confidence, which leads me to action, willingly following in, in Larry's arms. It sounds like a love song or something. But I'm falling <laughs> in his arms. Fear actually works very similar to faith, only in the negative. When you're afraid or anxious about something, um, it's an attitude inside that plays out in action. So I, if I was standing up here, I could yap on and on about how I have a lot of faith and trust in Larry and that he's going to catch me. I'm just going to fall back in his arms and I just go on and on talking about how I just have this, this confidence. But if on the inside there's some fear and, and there's a lot of worry and I, I don't really trust that he's going to catch me, guess what? I'm not going to fall down in, in his arms. There's, faith is, is two things. It requires an, an attitude of faith and confidence, but it also requires action. If you just have one without the other, you don't really have, have faith. And, and faith requires, genuine faith requires both. And, and the Bible describes faith like this. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And this describes the attitude part of faith that is so essential, genuine faith. It's this confident attitude, this, this hope um, of what you hope for. And it's this assured attitude of what you don't see. God makes a promise and you're hoping for it with confidence. 
and, 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 and you're assured about what you can't see. So God comes along. He makes some promises. He says, I'm going to be with you. I'm never going to leave you. I live inside of you. And we go, okay, I can't see him. But nevertheless, I am assured of what I can't see. Uh, this is faith. It's trust or confidence in something or someone in both attitude, what happens on the inside, and action, what happens on the outside. And believe it or not, you actually live with this kind of faith every single day. Um, when you drive your car into work, um, you have faith, a confidence that when you park it, um, that it's going to get you home at the end of the day. And you have a, just a trust and a confidence, and maybe you don't even consciously think about this, but, but you have it, it's there. Um, then at the end of the day, you get off work, and you just go in the car, and you go and crank it up, and, and away you go, head off on your merry way. Now, if you didn't have faith in your car, your attitude at work would not actually be one of confidence and assurance. Your attitude at work would be one of fretting and worrying. Uh, is the car going to get me home at the end of the day? Is it just going to not start up? which would lead you to a whole set of actions. Maybe you would call up a friend and say, hey, I'm going to need a backup today because I'm just not sure about my car, or you get an, an Uber or something like that. But, but you have faith that is, is trust or confidence that's playing out all the time in, in, in attitude and in action. And this morning, I'm pretty sure that when it comes to God, most in this room today would go, yeah, I want to have a strong faith. I want to have a strong trust and confidence in God that, that's not just um, something I say I have, but just, it's an attitude that I have deep down inside of my soul, and, and it, it leads to just action where I'm trusting God in everything um, that I do. I trust that, that, that keeps my soul anchored where there's not fear and where peace is present in my soul rather than worry and anxiety and all that other kind of stuff. Most of us probably say, yeah, I want that. That's what I'm after. And I want you to know this morning that this is possible. It is possible to have a strong faith. We just read about uh, Abraham and Abraham, how he was strengthened in his faith. And it's possible to have your faith strengthened to go from weak faith to strong faith. But as you make this journey, it's important to understand that faith doesn't get stronger by simply waking up one day and going, I want to have strong faith today. And then poof, magically, you, you have strong faith. It doesn't work like that. It's no more possible than me saying, okay, I want to have a stronger body. I want to be like, I want to have six-pack abs. I want to be ripped. I want to gain an extra 60 pounds of muscle just by waking up and boof, magically it's there. It doesn't work that way. There's, there's a process involved. And it's a similar thing when it comes to faith in God. You, ju- you can't just magically produce faith. In fact, the Bible says that faith isn't something that you produce at all. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it talks about how faith is a gift from God. God's the one that, that gives faith. And this morning, we're going to look at how he does that in our lives by looking at a man um, in the Bible who has known, it's been known throughout history for suffering through some of the worst personal tragedies a person could possibly go through. And the man's name is Job. Job is a man in the Bible who's not only known for suffering through tragedy, but he's also a man in the Bible who's known for being a good guy. The Bible talks about how Job was blameless. Um, he was a man who had faith. He believed in God. He was, he was also a married man. Him and his wife had a lot of kids. They had um, seven sons and three daughters. And uh, Job was a blessed, blessed man. On top of all those blessings, Job also had a ton of wealth. 
He wasn't having to go out during the week and buy a bunch of mega million lottery tickets because he was rich already. He already had a lot of money. And so one day, though, Satan basically challenges God, saying, Job only trusts you, God, because he has all these blessings. He's living the good life. And God then, in this strange story, God allows Satan to test Job, and then all hell breaks loose. All Job's possessions are either stolen or destroyed. Um, Then a storm comes blowing in, and it it collapses uh, Job's house, his house that at the time had all of his kids in it. Every last one of his kids died. This all happens in the, the very first chapter of the book of Job. And then in the next 41 chapters of the book of Job, we learn a lot about the journey from weak faith to strong faith. And Dallas Willard in this book here, I was telling you about, he says that on the journey from weak to faith to strong faith, we usually start off with um, what Willard calls the faith of propriety. Now, this is, what this, this is what that means. Being a person of propriety is all about someone who, for the most part, follows the commands in God's word. You try to treat people well. You try to, 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 to serve, and you, tr- you give. You, you're, you're kind, and, and you, you show up to church from time to time. Um, you do all the, 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 the stuff in God's word. You, you try to follow that really, really closely. And generally speaking, you could say you're, you're a good person. And your faith in God is genuine. You believe he exists. You believe that Jesus died for you. And these are, of course, good things. But here's the thing about this kind of faith. It's, it's not a whole lot different than superstition. And, and this is what I mean by that. You don't really know God on a deep, intimate level. Instead, your faith relies heavily on ritual, on doing all the right things. After all, if you do everything right, your reason, then your life will, get, will lead to blessing. It will lead to benefits. It will lead to all these, these, these good things happening in your life. And your picture of God tends to be like someone who's up there in the sky who's looking down to make sure that you don't make any mistakes. And here's the thing about this kind of faith. It lacks depth. It's not very strong. In fact, with this kind of faith, the moment that pain and suffering hits your life, the faith of propriety dies. It dies. And and here's the thing about this kind of faith. It's not actually bad. It's just limited. And that it doesn't lead to a life of joy. It doesn't lead to a life of, of living uh, with peace deep down inside your soul. It doesn't lead to a life of rest. You know, you look at Job, and he loses everything. He loses all his wealth. It's all gone. He loses his kids. And as if that wasn't bad enough, we read in chapter 2, first little section there, how, how Job's body just gets inflicted from head to toe with all these nasty sores. And if, if that wasn't bad enough, His wife comes along, and she just urges Job to curse God and die. How's that for encouragement? But Job doesn't lose his faith. He doesn't turn back on God, but his faith is lacking peace and confidence. Instead, and this is what I see so often in the church, his faith is mixed with fear and doubt. Listen to what Job says in Job chapter 3. He says, what I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness, I have no rest, but only turmoil, to which you might say, well, who wouldn't have fear and turmoil after everything that he just experienced? True, but Job is saying that even before all that stuff happened, he had this fear. He had this dread 
that was, was present. And like many Christians, he was living in this place of fear, afraid that if he made mistakes, afraid that if he did the wrong thing, that God would take away his blessing. His faith in God wasn't nearly as strong as the faith that he had in, in his own goodness, the faith that he had in, in, in himself. So that's one kind of faith, the faith of propriety. Another kind of faith is the faith of desperation. And this is the kind of faith you see when, um, in, in people um, who are watching everything that their hearts cherish just kind of go down the drain. And you've, you've seen this in people before. Uh, maybe they, they're losing their, their possessions. Maybe they lose their job. They lose their marriage. They lose their dreams. All that gone. Maybe they lose their health. And yet, through all of that, they still trust. They still have a confidence in God. God. It's Job saying this. He says, he says this at one point. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Now, not many can actually say this and have this attitude deep down inside their heart that really means that though he slay me, yet will I trust him? You know, most of the time we say something more along the lines of, of if he's not going to give me everything that I want, and if my life is difficult, then I'm not going to trust him. And this kind of faith, though, that we see in Job, where he goes from this faith of propriety to this faith of desperation, it's a faith that you, where you trust God even when everything around you is crumbling. This is bigger than merely believing that God is out there somewhere, and if I believe in him, then maybe one day I'll get to heaven. It's, it's a way stronger faith than, than just that. This kind of faith is all about trust. Even when life is going down the drain, it's, it, you trust. It's 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 life on the battlefield kind of faith. It's a faith that really digs in, even in the most difficult of circumstances, during the most hardest of seasons. It's a kind of faith that doesn't let go of what the Bible says about God and who God is. It's the kind of faith I saw in my friend, um, uh, his name is Dave Browning, as he was in the final few months fighting this, this battle with cancer, which he would actually end up losing. He, he was saying the whole entire time, no matter how this thing ends, I win. And today he's winning big time as he's in the presence of Jesus. But it's this faith that hangs on to God no matter what life throws at you. It's the kind of faith that the writer of Psalm 46 wrote about when he wrote, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. It's Stephen in Acts chapter 7 as he is getting pummeled with rocks by men intent on murdering him. The Bible talks about how he's just clinging tightly to Jesus and he surrenders his spirit to Christ. It's the men and women of Hebrews 11 who even though the Bible says they were tortured, they faced jeers and flogging, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated, and yet they were all commended for their faith. That's the faith of desperation. And, and here's something that you need to know about God that, that not a lot of people actually are super comfortable with, is that he will sometimes allow you to reach the point of desperation so that you can learn this kind of faith. And I know, because I have been there. I've been in some, some of the darkest valleys that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. But, but listen, it was in those places, in my moment of greatest need, 
that my trust and my confidence in God was strengthened the most. And you might ask, well, Rich, how in the world does that happen? How in the world? Well, I'm in the middle of this dark place, this difficult circumstance in my life. How in the world is that supposed to strengthen my faith? And and here's how. When you're at the point of desperation, you're at the point where you have nobody else to turn to but God. And when you turn to him, your faith of of desperation, it, it meets the third kind of faith, the faith of sufficiency. Where you learn the most important truth that you will ever learn in your lifetime. And that truth is this, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And you only learn that truth when you're at a place in your life where you where you go, okay, God, you're all I have to turn to. You're all I have to turn to. It's at this point that you encounter the living God and where you're able to taste and see that he truly is good. Going back to Job, after, after Job blows up his life, or after his life blows up, he doesn't blow it up, his life just blows up, um, he has four friends who come along to console him. And three of these friends are pretty useless. Um, They drone on and on saying just stupid, stupid stuff that you just don't say to somebody in Job's situation. Um, They come along and they they try to tell Job that the reason that all this has happened is because he's had sin in his life. And then they start to drone on and on about how this has happened to his kids because his kids probably had sin in their lives. That's just not stuff that you tell somebody who's just lost all their kids in a tragic accident. Finally, Job says, how long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? And what do these guys do? This happens like in the middle of the book that he says this. Do they stop? No. They keep on going. And then in chapter 29 to 31, Job goes into full-on like self-pity mode because these guys are just not helping, and he's just turning in on himself. And and he goes into this this self-pity mode that we don't have time to read about this morning. Um, But then all of a sudden, he stops. And thankfully, his three friends stop too. And it's silence. And it's at this point in the story that we learn there's a fourth friend who has been present the entire time. Um, This guy's name is Elihu. Elihu is a young man. He's actually much younger than Job and these three other guys. And he's been silent because of his age. He's been hesitant to talk because of the insecurities surrounding his age. But eventually, Elihu is stirred to speak. And as he gets going, it's, it's fascinating to read. You've got to read this this afternoon. What, what happens? The Spirit of God shows up and begins to work through Elihu. Side note this morning. If you are a young person, don't ever let your age keep you from speaking up. Wisdom is not an age thing. Wisdom is a Spirit of God living inside of you thing. The Bible says don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. And here's the thing that Elihu did differently than the other three friends of Job. He helps Job take his eyes off of himself and onto Almighty God. And he helps Job, whose hardships have given him a small vision of God rather than a big vision of God. And listen to some of the things that Elihu comes along and says 
declares to his friend Job, who's just at the, the, the darkest place he could possibly be. He says things like, God is greater than any mortal. It is unthinkable that God could, would do wrong, that the Almighty would pervert justice. Will you condemn the just and mighty one? And a little bit later on, he says, look up at the heavens and see God is mighty and firm in his purpose, which Job needed to hear as he's looking around in his life and he's going, man, God, is, God must be weak. God must have no purpose. Everything's just random and all this kind of stuff. Elihu comes along and says, no, God is mighty. He's firm in his purpose. I love this next line that Elihu speaks. He says, he says to Job, he is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restriction. Is that good or what? He's wooing you. He's pulling you out of the jaws of distress. He goes on to say, God is exalted in his power. And then he, he closes with these, these words. He, he looks at Job. And he says, out of the north, he comes in golden splendor. God comes in awesome majesty. The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power and his justice and great righteousness. He does not oppress. Therefore, people revere him, for, he does, for does he not have regard for all the wise in heart? And then suddenly, Elihu stops speaking, and there's silence once again. And, and I believe that the reason, so he, this guy's just carried on for, for three whole chapters. And I believe the reason that he stopped in that moment was because in that moment, Elihu and Job, they felt the presence of Almighty God settle into that place. And the, the ground where they were standing on became holy ground. And I don't know if you caught in that, that verse. Can you just back it up one, one slide there, John? I don't know if you caught this here. But did you catch what Elihu saw? He, saw? he said, out of the north, he comes. God comes in awesome majesty. And for whatever reason in the Bible, whenever the Bible talks about God coming, there's different spots where it talks about the north. And the north, for, for whatever reason, it's like this, this picture of God's dwelling place being in the north. And as Elihu is speaking to Job, God's presence shows up. And next it says this. It says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. That's a picture. Scholars call it this epiphany of, of God showing up. And you see this all throughout the Bible where, where, where God has been, um, he's seen as a whirlwind. At Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, it talks about how the sound, like the, the sound of a violent wind came into that place. And God shows up in this moment and he begins to speak to Job. And God's first words to Job are not words of comfort, God's first words to Job aren't words of encouragement. God's first words to Job are not an apology for all the stuff that's happened in Job's life. No, instead, his first words are actually a question. He says, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? And then for the next two chapters, it's God's turn to do the talking. And he asks questions that, that expose Job's limits and they expose Job's human frailty while opening Job's eyes to the majesty and the greatness and the splendor and the beauty of who God is. And Job's response is, is very telling. He simply humbly says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. And what made the difference for Job was that he hung in there 
and his faith of desperation carried him to the point where God showed up and he could say, God, I had heard about you. God, I thought I knew you, but, but God, I, I know you now. I know who you are. And, and in, in, it's in this place where his trust and his confidence is strengthened as he gets this picture of who God really is. And his vision of God in this moment, catch this, his vision of God in this moment is so great that all the stuff that had happened to him in the past, as bad as it was, all that stuff actually became a lot smaller compared to the greatness and the beauty of his God. What mattered most in that moment was the sufficiency of God. And in that place, what does Job do? He repents. He stops pressing his case with God. He he stops asking all the the questions that he's been asking. He stops doubting God. He stops questioning. Instead, he goes to just, I've got Jesus. I've got God. Everything is, is, is okay because he saw the greatness of his God. And in that place of trust, he was able to find total rest for his soul. And one of the biggest changes that, that happen when you move from the, or, or move from the faith, uh, faith of propriety to a faith of desperation to a faith of sufficiency is that you take your eyes off of yourself. You take your eyes off of your circumstances and your, your surrounding. And I'm not trying to diminish anything that anybody in this room is going through. But as you begin to move through that, what you do is you take your eyes off of yourself and you begin to put your eyes on Jesus and on who God's word says that he is, on how mighty he is, on how powerful he is, on how he is a God of purpose. He's a God whose ways don't, don't change. And, and when you take your eyes off of yourself and you put them on Jesus and you simply worship him for who he is, God shows up. And you begin to know him at the very deepest level of your soul. And you understand that, that, that he's enough. I want to do one more trust fall as we uh, wrap up this morning, I'm going to have my daughter Presley join me on this one. You know, at my house, um, my kids, uh, they, they, they love it when I do trust when I'm the one that, what's, that's catching them. But inevitably at some point, um, they will ask me a question. And they'll say, hey, Dad, um, why, don't you, why don't you fall back into our arms? And, and so, so I don't even get to this point like this where I'm going to fall back because, you know what, there's no way I'm going to fall back in Presley's arms. Why am I not going to fall back in Presley's arms? Because she's little. She's nine years old. I'm big. I weigh about 200 pounds. She's probably, what, like 75-ish? And, and I'm going to fall back, and I'm going to completely crush her when I fall. And the reason... A, a, the reason that a lot of you don't fall back on God is because your picture of God is like this. You, 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 you picture God as being small. You picture God as being something that you can't fall back on. You picture God as being little. And, and why, would you, why would you fall back into his arms if that's the picture that you have of God? But what God is asking you to do and what he's asking me to do this morning is regardless of where you're at, to take your eyes off of yourself and put your eyes on God and how big he is. Press, you want to fall back? Let's do it. Okay.
How big is your God? How big is your God? Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that, Lord, you would help us. God, help us. Lord, life is hard. God, life is hard. There's not one person in this room who gets a free pass. In fact, Jesus, you promised that it would be hard. You said in this broken, flawed, messed up world, you will have trouble. God, life is hard. God, and it's in those, those circumstances and difficulties, God, in the, the places that we get in, God, whether it's just things caving in around us or, God, whether it's stuff that we, God, that you've promised us that, Lord, we're just not seeing come to reality. God, it's, it's discouraging. It's disappointing. God, whatever it might be, God, life is hard. Life is hard. And, Lord, God, we have this, this tendency in those situations, God, to just turn in on ourselves and, and God, even to forget who you are or, or in those situations, God, we begin to question who you are. We question what your word says about you. We question whether or not you're good. We question whether or not you're for us. God, everything that your word says about you, we, we question that. And as we question that, God, you, it's like we shrink you down, 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 down to the point where, God, we're just going, there's no way I'm falling back into your arms. But, God, I pray this morning that, Jesus, you would help us. And, God, I know you're doing it even now, God, this morning as your word is being preached and we're singing songs about how big you are. God, you're switching our focus, God. And you're taking it off of our circumstances, off of ourselves, God, and onto you and who your word says that you are. God, you're here in this place. God, we, God we're assured of what we cannot see. God, that the God who created the heavens and the earth is here this morning. His arms are open, wide, full of love, full of faithfulness, goodness. God, you're here this morning. And God, you are more than able, God, to meet any need that there might be in this room today. And so, God, I just want to pray, God, for that person this morning that's just struggling with faith. And they're, God, they're, they're like Job. God, they're just... That stuff is happening that's just causing them, Lord, to just be in a, a bad spot with their faith, and it's weak. And, God, I, I pray that, God, in this season that they're in, that, Lord, you would help them, God, to just know the sufficiency and the greatness of our God. Help them to know that, I pray. And just as your heads are bowed this morning, I just want to pray. Is there anybody here, you're going, that's me. I just need to, I'm in a bad spot. I'm just having a hard time seeing God and who he is. If that's you, can you just put your hand up? I just want to pray for you this morning. Yeah, lots of you in this room this morning. You can go ahead and put your hand down. Father, you see the situations. God, you see what's going on inside. God, you see we're inside. God, inside they're, they're having a hard time with trust and confidence. God, you see the circumstances. You see everything. And, Lord, I want to pray that, God, you would, in your grace, God, even right now, God, in your grace, I pray that you would give them the, the power, God, to turn their eyes towards you and to see you for who you really are. God, may they go to faith and trust. May they go to faith and trust. God, I pray all these things. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.